Hello, I'm Toby Hodog, and so is my wife. That's a clue. So, um, well, I've been invited to... I've been shown great hospitality. We've had tea and cake already. Uh, and I'm with a gentleman. I'm going to ask him to tell me uh, who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hello, my name's Terence Baylor, and I was in work with the first two Doctor Who's, William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton. So that's... Uh, it's all in black and white those days. Now it's a bit of a blank. I don't know whether I remember that much about it. I enjoyed working with both of them. I think Mr. Hartnell was a like a sort of venerable grandfather, and you felt he might not be particularly dem, demonstrative, but um, suddenly might uh, give you half a crown <laughs> as a lovely surprise and always look after you. I think Patrick Trout was much more like a rather naughty uncle, uh, joking and, but again, keeping up your spirits of being a friend, not just a relative. I, I, I liked working very much with them both. I didn't work particularly closely. I just didn't. Uh... Yeah, well, you didn't. You didn't. You in both of your stories, you didn't last beyond your first episode because uh, you got killed by the monoids in the Ark for That's William right. Hartnell. That's right. Uh, dressed in a rather fetching... Have you, I don't know if you've seen it at all I have, recently. Yes, yes. <laughs> My wife teased me about it. Somebody uh, wrote, me a, wrote me a letter, I think, saying, you know, we enjoyed seeing your performance as the, the ill-fated Yen Tob. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so she sometimes says you're being a bit ill-fated. <laughs> yes, and the other one, poor chap. Uh, yeah. I found that Yes, it was the the war games. It was Patrick Tratton's last story, and you were yeah. a, a major called Major yeah. Barrington in World War One. That's right. Yes, I was. I found that very moving because my uncle came with from with the New Zealand army. Came, went in the First World War, went to Gallipoli, was killed at Gallipoli, right at the very top, on Chinook Bear. This is a big memorial there. Francis Baylor was his name. He was a sort of a simple barber from a small uh, country town, Monganui. And so he disappeared there. I think there's a, there are some stories, aren't there, in the battlefields about a whole battalion disappears. They went up the hill, there were puffs of smoke, and we couldn't see it, but they didn't know it never came down again. So he's in an unmarked grave. So I, I sort of had quite a strong feeling about that as a think of all the dead and forgotten people, really, you know? Um, so I, I thought it was a, a powerful story, really. I, I liked Troughton, particularly at the beginning, because he began with his characteristic joking as, oh, my God, where are we now, kids? Sort of, we're in mud here, struggling along, and then suddenly just in the left of frame, at the bottom of the frame, you see a little bit of barbed wire, you see? Because then you hear, boom, 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 you hear this explosion. Oh, my God. But he's begun it cheerfully. It's not, oh, this is going to be a rather sad, morbid episode. He's 
pressure for you. Well, it's interesting because you you had a run of parts, and I think that the major in um, the war games is is typical of a lot of parts that you've played of sort of st- uh, stiff up lip upper class English gentleman, and you're from New Zealand. I'm a working class New Zealand boy, yes, and very very proud of it too. So um, well, so let's so uh, how how did you get to that point? How how did the working class New Zealand boy? get to be playing officers and gentlemen on British television. Oh, just a knock, the palms, that's all it is. It usually <laughs> sends them up, usually silly, silly chaps. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. No, anybody could do a posh voice if they wanted to, but I just... Yes, I was assigned to. I decided to. Now, well, how I got into acting, I suppose, my, my, my dad, when he came back, when his brother was killed, in fact, he said, it's my turn now, so he volunteered, because he volunteered in those days in New Zealand, and... Luckily, he only got as far as the mounted rifles. He only got as far as Egypt and got a dreadful uh, sort of pleurisy thing. And in fact, he was so he sent back to New Zealand with a. a um, so he went to work uh, first as a lorry driver, then got some work at the local theatre as a stagehand as well. This was getting up the Depression there. I was born in 1930, so he, um, so he had these two jobs the theatre at night driving a lorry in the daytime. And so I went to see shows from a very early age. From My brother was born when he was four, and I was a bit annoyed because I used to go with my mum every Monday to comps to see the, the shows for nothing, and uh, loved it. And then, then when my brother got a bit older, we all, we could, all three of us could go, and my dad would be working backstage, and we'd be watching... Variety shows from Australia, lots of operators, I still have operators, one or two straight shows, and my dad also worked as a projectionist when they didn't have shows in the theatre, they usually showed films, so uh, from a very early age I thought, this is a job, this is what people do, this is what my dad gets money for, so unlike some people think it's so glamorous, it would be so lovely, I just think, well it's a job, you can get work, you get paid for it, so um, yes I did, worked as a stagehand then, I did some amateur work, and then I local Amdram group and then I went on to university and uh, did some work with the university group and then I was asked to do a film in New Zealand uh, by that time I got a scholarship to come and train at Rada so uh, this was pick people three or four people a year they were trying to establish a New Zealand theatre company and uh, so I came, somebody said, oh, would you like to do a film before you go to it? So I did this film. It's called Broken Barrier. It was about a mixed-race marriage. Um, Maori people and they're, what they say, a Pākehā person for a, a white person. Um, and uh, so that went all right, um, I think. I'm on a yeah, stamp to celebrate the centenary of cinema with my uh, colleague, Katie Nauramu, who was a beautiful Maori actress. And uh, so I, I did that and, uh, and came to Britain to study abroad. Well, and you broke into telly fairly quickly. You did... Uh... In those days, you could go to Broadcasting House, you know, in central London, and you'd go downstairs to a little room, there'd be a camera there, and you'd do a piece... A little speech to camera, then thank you very much. Then, X weeks later, 
kind man says hello, hello. Uh, my, my name's Douglas Allen, I'd like you to uh, be in this play, it's called Building of Jehovah. And someone before before one did it, he said, Here's brought brought you the money in an a check in an envelope and said, Here I trust you not to run away. And it was live. So it was quite frightening. Um, because one would be going to make an entrance, standing to knock on the door, and the door wouldn't be there. Because it was live, so, so somebody could rush in with a door, two chaps holding a door, which you said, thank God. <laughs> Go in, you see. And also, I was working with this lovely uh, Natasha Parrott, who later married, well, she was married to Peter Brooker, yeah. in fact. And we were sort of playing opposite each other, and she said, oh, I know, we had dinner with Peter Bull last night. I said, why not, actor? He's told me the secret of television acting. I said, well, what is it, Natasha? What is it? And she said, well... If you drive, you just look at the, there'll be the, somebody in the studio with, 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 who can turn the sound off. So you just have to look as if you keep talking. So if you drive, you just keep mouthing, mouthing, and then she'll give you the line, and then you'll say the line, and you'll go on. So it looks as if there's been a technical fault. <laughs> so that's the secret of television. <laughs> I've tried it since, it doesn't work. <laughs> But he went, no, so I did that, and, uh, and it, it, it sort of it came out after that. I got uh, various tellies, yes, I, uh, quite, well, it didn't seem to be too difficult one, once one got one. Uh, and, and was it, you know, some, some people that say, oh, well, t- when television came in, people did television for the money, but their heart was in the theatre, but you, you're saying that acting was much more of a, a profession to you, so did, did you not differentiate between the two in terms of, art, you know, artistic... Merit? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so, no. I mean, I really did it because I, I've got, got no skills at all. I can't speak any languages. I've got no musical skills. I've never been able to play sports. I can't do sums. Um, I don't, didn't have any, the only thing I knew about really was because going every week to see people acting or my dad made money out of it, you know. So I thought it was at school, be in the school play be in the local amateurs group, group, go to university, be in the... She stooped to conquer, I think we did, first of all, and I just got a lot of work from that. And then it was to do broadcasting in New Zealand. So, as my wife says, I'm more interested in gardening and home decorating than I am acting. I prefer it, really, but acting was just a way to make money. And luckily, because of residuals and that, I don't need to work anymore, and I'm 83 years old, and why should I? Quite right. So you don't feel you know, there's no there's no part inside Terence Bay that just has to has to be performing if you're dead. No, 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 no. I I think that's I it's a sort of a, no, no. It's like a no. It's like a habit that you must. It's like smoking or drinking or taking drugs or something. I think people really need that urge to act. They should fight it. And do you understand why? Obviously, you know, in the, in, 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 of all those parts in the sixties on television that you did, there's 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 a lot of interest and it's genuine interest about two single episodes you did, three or four years apart of Doctor Who. Do you understand the appeal of Doctor Who? Yes, I do. I think yes, I, yes, I, I do. I, I don't quite understand it. No, I did understand. I thought the archetypal one was Mr. Hartnell because I think it was. I said to my wife last night, I said, it's sort of, I was sort of thinking about it, I said, it, it's sort of like God was Adam and Eve, really. <laughs> <laughs> because he is so, 
because uh, he was also a very fine comic actor, of course, you know, lots of farce, lots of funny stuff, and that horrible person I played, uh, he played in, um, I think he played in uh, Brighton Rock, wasn't it? Yes. What, what an actor, really, you know. He was playing this venerable old Doctor Who, but then this horrible man, all these silly, funny creatures in farce, you know. I think he was a marvellous actor. And do you remember, I mean, it's so long, do you remember either of the directors that you worked with on Doctor Who, Michael Imerson and David Maloney? I, I, yeah, well, I remember David more because I, I think I did uh, Ivanhoe as an episode, so Son of Ivanhoe with David Maloney. Um, Michael Iverson, I do remember very vaguely. David, I sort of, you know, asked for me again, which was nice, that sort of thing. He directed a lot of Doctor Who's, David. My, yeah. my, it was Michael's only one. Well, David, he only used me in one, so... Oh. Oh. Oh, David, what went wrong? <laughs> Michael, I don't know if you know, Michael is now very high up in the Humanist Society. Really? And he does humanist funerals. That's what I want. Oh. No, 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 not today, not, necessarily. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> Wait till we finish the interview. <laughs> it can be played. <laughs> There's a lovely imposing picture, and I can see above you now, of no slouch of a part in Roman Polanski's uh, film very bloody film of yeah. the Scottish play and you're playing uh, you, you know the most significant part really outside of the the two protagonists so how did you come to be Macduff and that was a long shoot as well wasn't it was quite long yes well I'll tell you what I was doing something in called uh, which I loved very much oh please let me think of it please let me think of it called Vile Bodies the, uh, the the even more novel I love the novel I, I worked with the uh, the director Alan Cook before, and also I'd had to turn him down for, for something I couldn't. He wanted me to do, and I was just opening a play called The Right Honourable Gentleman. He said it won't run. Well, it did. We had about eighteen months in it at Her Majesty's. But um, anyway, I was. Um, I wrote to Alan and said, "Look, I, I really sorry I couldn't work for you before, but I really love our bodies, the even more novel. Could I? Could you see me for it, please?" And he said, "Oh yes." He said, "Yes, you can play the uh, the drunk major in it, which is." Nice, funny part. Um, and we filmed the first, we, the, the, absolutely the final shot was just a, three people in an old, old Rolls Royce, supposed to be a sort of a, 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 a apocalyptic war, and this dreadful old naughty old major and a young man and a young girl. And we shot it down at all the shots, lots of explosions and tanks and things, or old tanks and things, big shoot, and then then we began rehearsing it to record it in the studio, to record. and I got this call, um, I think Mary Warner had seen me down at uh, Bromley Rep, a matinee, and we were messing about a bit, so I was very relaxed, and uh, so she called me in to, to, to talk to Balansky, and we went and he said, well, we're starting next week, and now I think he sat, he sat on the floor and ate fruit. And I sat beside him and made a bit of fruit, and uh, he said, well, no, we started, so I want you to play this part. I said, well, I can't, because I'm doing bar bodies. He said, no, well, well, well uh, no, it's, no, we, well, we'll bite you out. I said, well, no, I can't, because I've, you know, I've, I've done the first major big shot Final shot of the whole film, boom. Um, 
I can't, you know, I can't, I'm sorry, good luck with, um, good luck with the film, but I can't be in it. He says, we'll change the schedule for you. So I said, well, I could do that. I, I could probably do it, because then we had to rehearse for about, you know, we did, we did rehearse the studio shots and shots, you said. So, so he changed the schedule for me, just because I said, I can't do it, I think, you know, Roman being Roman. Um, I thought, this guy's really hot. It was just, I couldn't mess around with I'd written to the director, the BBC director, saying, hey, mate, I, I want to be in this. You couldn't say, oh, shoot the whole final sequence again. So, so I think Roman said, do it, you know. It was nice to be wanted, though. Well, he was just being perverse. He wasn't very nice to me after that, really, I don't think. No. no. He was in a funny place, though, wasn't he? I mean, in terms of directing, um, you know, a film about bloody murder in light of the, the, the Tate... Oddly enough, yes, you know, you don't, you know, the, 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 what's the vampire killer film? The, it's called The Hideous Vampire Killers yes, or something, yes, isn't yes, it? Yeah. Yes, yes, and he, he screened it and his wife, Is his it? dead wife was, was, was playing it. He screened, I sat beside him actually when he screened it on vacation. So I said, you're a tough, I thought, you're a tough, I didn't say it. I said, you're a tough little thing, aren't you? The Fearless Vampire Killers. It's fearless Vampire that was it, yes, yes. But he, he sat there and laughed at it and that was it. Blimey, old time. Mm. Do you think it's a good film, the Macbeth? Mm-hmm. I think I suppose it's. Um, I don't know if I'm hearing about it really. Um, no, my 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 my, my grandchildren have just seen it at school. So it's. <laughs> well, it's the grandchildren too. I thought. I thought. I said, I saw you in Macbeth. I said, oh yes. Um. Have you got any fruit juice? <laughs> that was it. No comments. Ah, uh, yes, but but you know Shakespeare when you're at school is you know is is not cool. Monty Python when you're at school is very cool. Oh yes. And you've uh, you've uh, certainly made an impact in that. Saying the line "I'm Brian and so is my wife" uh, will have you cinematic immortality. I'm sure. Yes, but it was. As I said, it was a some sort of. Poll or something on the internet, I think about, and it was number ten in the, in the, the funniest lines in film history. Um, I was very pleased it wasn't ad lib. Um, Terry Jones, the director, just said, "We well, don't, don't all just say, uh, I'm Brian, I'm Brian, I'm Brian.' Ad lib something, and people saying, "Oh no, he's a." He's a, he's a liar. No, he always says, you know, he's silly, he's only playing. And all that sort of thing. But I just thought I was next to my nice wife uh, in the film. And uh, I sort of thought, well, let's include her. And uh, said it. And uh, I remember Jack, Graham Chapman walked past. He was down from his cross by then, smoking a pipe and slipping along, shuffling along in his slippers. He said, that's a good line. And all that, please. I was so pleased about that. But I was, I'm glad people do laugh at it. I must say, I've seen it a couple of times in the theatre and so on. People do laugh. And I, and I was saying, I, you know, I loved that line. And then I said, and the only other line that comes close is when everyone says, we're all individuals, and someone pipes up, I'm not, and that's you as well. Well, I said it, you see, and... Um, oh, no, I never worked with him again. Um, Terry Jones said, oh, he said to me, Terry, don't... Um, don't, you, you needn't say that line, we'll, 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 we'll pick it up later and close up. And I thought, well, 
I'm just standing there next to John Cleese, and I thought, well, I can, as long as I leave a gap so we can edit it out, you know, one could say, we're all, we're all individuals. But I leave a little, a little gap, and then just raise my hand and say that it, it can cut somebody else in anyway, it's not messing up anything, it's not messing up the trench. I just thought, he was so little, and he's so much in, it's the same character I've played saying, how much do you want for the good, and all that sort of thing. I thought, no, I'll say it anyway, quite quietly. And oh, people are quite, yes, I think, uh, yes, yes, uh, yes, and people have said, Who's, who, who plays the, come on, I can't think now, who, who, who play, plays the pub landlord? Um, you know, um, well, Al, Al Murray? Yeah, Al Murray, yeah, yeah. Somebody said, what do you think's funny? He said, well, I like this life, the life of Brian, when, uh, when people say, we're all the individuals, and the man says in the funny voice, I'm not. Ah. I think, so I think, I love Al Murray anyway, I can't remember his name, but I mean, <laughs> I love him so, I was very thrilled that it, it was on telly, I saw it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So how had you got, because you've done, you're not only in the life of Brian, you, you, you've got quite a long connection. You did Rutland Weekend Television, mm. and you're, um, you're in the Ruttles as the, um, what's the manager, that Leggy Mount, Leggy uh, Mount uh, Batten, and yeah, all you yeah. need is cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how had you got involved with the, the Pythons and, and those guys? And they obviously liked what you did, because they used you a lot. Very, yes, they, yes, they did, they did. Um, Gilliam, too, yes, yes, time band is for Terry Gilliam. I love Terry Gilliam. I saw him. We encounter him quite a lot, which is lovely. He's a huggy and nice thing, all that. No, I, um, my first wife and I were in a, a New Zealand play uh, called The Hoot Carpentry, and it's an actress called Med Ryan, who, mm. an Australian actress, Martha, very, good, very, very good actress, lovely actress, who was playing my mother in law, I think. So we did this telly play, and her. She was over here with her daughter, living here with her daughter, and uh, we had a baby, her first baby at the time, so I think she quite liked me and my and wife, and uh, said, oh, come meet my daughter, she's sort of a sort not, not dissimilar age, and you're a young married couple with a child and all that. So we saw quite a bit of marriage, and then uh, her daughter, Lynn Ashley, and of course, and you, of course Lynn said, I've got a... a, a a new boyfriend, he's called Eric Idle, and you must meet him. And we saw Eric a lot, really, you know, and... Uh, yes, yes, we saw lots of, lots of several books in that from him, actually, but suitably inscribed with jokes, bless him. And, uh, yeah, what happened? Uh, yeah, I, th I think, yes, I know, he came down to see women. Uh, when we were doing Macbeth, actually, we, we came down, he came down to the studio, he and Lynn, and... Uh, to have lunch down at Shepparton, and I don't think he'd been in the film studio before, but it was quite interesting. He, he quite liked it and had a lot of laughs and got some jokes out of it, I think, um, for later use. Um, and then he um, he happened to see, I, was do, I used to do some musical in those days in rooms above pubs, and I was doing uh, I was doing a, a couple of comic numbers, a comic monologue, a comic song. And he happened to see it quite by chance. He came to see somebody else and said, you're funny, you're funny. I said, well, yeah, I'm quite funny. So he, he thought, A, you can get laughs, and B, you've been, I've seen you working you know, on, on the screen. And so he, uh, he asked me to do something in Rutland Weekend Television. I think that was the first thing. And yeah. Then the Ruttles, and then uh, I think they thought, I think that the boys had seen the Ruttles, of course, the other Python boys, and uh, and I think 
you know, I think they said, oh, well, we could use him in, you know, Terry Jones said, um, called me in and said, well, Eric says you're very funny, you don't look very funny. And I thought, well, you do. <laughs> you can do funny. <laughs> you can do funny, I'll do funny acting. But uh, I'll never work again. I'll just have to, no, so, no, so, so, uh, so I did, um, first, uh, yeah, Roger Brown, of course, and then. Uh, and we we all know they're comic geniuses in their in their own way, Gilliam and Joe's. But so were the were the film sets when they did Brian and Time Bandits. Comic genius to me doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with being terribly organised and technically minded. I mean, how how were they as shoots? Oh, I think they pushed through pretty. No, they know they think they're pretty efficient. I mean, we had huge crowd scenes and that. You know, no, I think they were. I think it's sort of critical of each other. No, no, you know, but there's a word if you read about the parts. It's all saying, no, that doesn't work. Just, I mean, they were very bright about what was funny and were very frank with each other. And uh, I, I think we... Um, I didn't think we had any problems, really, that way. Uh, it was... They were really nice guys and really good social life afterwards and that sort of thing, you know? And did you anticipate the... Um Storm afterwards, you know, with Muggeridge and the, and the whole, oh, you know... Oh, dreadful thing. And yeah. God. Well, no, that's, well, you know what, I think he was a terrible hypocrite, wasn't he, Muggeridge? He wasn't a... a good-living guy, really. I think he was, you know... And I, I don't think he was tremendously moral in any sort of sexual sense. We gather, I don't know... <laughs> can't hear me now, at least he's dead. <laughs> no, 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 it was absurd. It was clear, it was clear, it was about, really about people saying, oh, we carry the shoe, no, we, no, we cast off our shoe, no, we have our shoe, no, he's asking us to do this, no, he's telling like my character, which is mm. right from the start. What's so special about the cheesemaker? Oh, it's not just the cheesemaker, any manufacturer of dairy products, you know, it's, it's everybody right from the start misjudging. Yeah. A very clear and beautiful speech, really. I've also worked with Cyril Shapps, who will be yes. of great interest to listeners of this podcast because he's a Doctor Who legend. Oh, marvellous, yes. Of course, he was in, uh, he was in The Magistrate at the, 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 farce, the Victorian Fast at the National Theatre. The only time I played at the National Theatre. But he, he was lovely, very funny, very good, very dear. He'd ring his wife before the show and say, if you're doing two shows after the man, they'd say, well, I'm going to have, I'm going to have supper now, I'm going to, we're going to have, I think this is this one, then he'd tell her what, what he's going to have for supper. Then he'd ring again afterwards and, and say, well, it was very nice. <laughs> and he'd say, it was so dear, wasn't he? Like, what a hug him, really. He was so dear. Michael Rudman directed that. He loved, I told him about that. And he laughed and laughed. He's a lovely director and a, a, a kind, nice man. And... Uh, but he loves to be, he wants to hug Cyril too, because he was so dear, really. Lovely, lovely performer. Wow. Of course, Nigel Hawthorne playing the lead in a, a yeah. fine, fine actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look, um, thank you for your time, which you've given freely, so I ask you to nominate a charity that the listeners can donate to. Well, I, I, I think perhaps, um, I know somebody's autistic and is coping marvellously with it and has it's been helped to be a successful person really in spite of the 
being on the certainly on the an Asperger's syndrome person certainly and has used his uh, his concentration and his interests um, to become very successful. He's becoming very successful, in fact. So, if I may say, you know, it can be a very sad thing. It can sometimes be an advantage uh, being on that. I think as many people who've seen every single episode of Doctor Who and remember everything about it can probably attest. Are you one of those? <laughs> and uh, Doctor Who is 50 this year. It started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Oh, my God. Uh, so uh, do you have... What's, what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there? Um, Doctor Who. Why? That's the question that we'll always be asking ourselves. Terence Bader, for your hospitality and for your memories and for your fine company, uh, thank you very much indeed. No, it's been great fun. I've been very silly and I'm sorry. No, it's good. That's great. That's, that's what it has to be. Brilliant. My thanks to Terry and to his lovely wife, Valerie Kutko, uh, who convened us together and made the muffins. Uh, my next guest is an actor of fine pedigree who's done lots and lots of stuff, including being in Doctor Who, except he hasn't been in Doctor Who. Has he? How does that work? Ooh, tune in next time. But before you do, Terry's charity, uh, well, I've chosen www.autism.org.uk, as he didn't specify a particular one, but if you know a uh, different uh, charity for autism and Asperger's, uh, by all means, go to that one. Uh, and until next time, here's a preview of what's in store in the next edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round, but thank you for listening to this one. It's when you're doing, you know, a big series like Doctor Who, and, you know... And it's all resting on you. It's all on you. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're getting into work at, you know, 10.15 and, you know, you've been trying to learn the night before, you know, I'm talking about Tom now, but, you know, sometimes it's really hard when, you know, sometimes, you know, something slips out when someone said something that, you know, that I'm sure that then he's got a huge heart. He's not, you know, Tom is not a mean person. He's not been in any shape or form. He's got a heart of gold. He really does. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. When nine o'clock on a spring morning appears so far as your eyes can tell as dark as midnight, then there is something very seriously wrong somewhere. That was the moment when my life, as I had known it for the last 29 years, ended. Right there, on that Wednesday, 28th of May. It remained dark. The sun was dead. And this was the beginning of everlasting night. We love stories.